Today we're going to continue on with what we just launched last week, which is going to be our, what we're going to look at for the whole summer and even a little bit into fall. Um, we started looking at the book of Acts, and we're saying this, we want a, a, to a, a refresh. We want to have a fresh look at the book of Acts. And if you don't know this, and it explains maybe you're, you're new to here or new to the, to the Lord, the book of Acts, and, and if, you've, if you have a, a paper Bible, um, you'll find Acts is in the beginning of the New Testament. And so it's the history book. So the, the Bible is all these different letters is what they basically are, letters and books. Um, and in the, the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus, um, the book of Acts is right after the stories about Jesus, the Gospels that tell the stories about Jesus. It's the history of the expansion of the, of the early church. And so we're taking um, three months, and we're looking at the book of Acts, that history of the early church, with a fresh outlook, and we're saying, what happened then that could speak into how we live now? What happened with them? How did God act? What were the things that were important? What are the things? How did God do things? How did the church do things? And we want to have a, a fresh look. So every week we're kind of taking um, um, topics that are woven through the whole book of Acts. We're trying not to look at just like one-time things. We're trying to look at more things that were normative or they were normal for the people then and to say, if those things were the, with the normal existence back then, that's how God acted back then. Um, God hasn't changed. God still does things the, the same way. We talked about last week how the church was birthed at Pentecost, which is last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. That's why we launched it last Sunday. And that, that from that point on, the church for now 2,000 years has existed. So what, what happened, what started then, we're part of what started um, after Jesus died, rose, ran, rose again, was seated at the right hand of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's the church age that we're living in that age right now all the way until Jesus returns. And so what started back then, the way things happened then, continues on till today. So we can look at this book that's 2,000 years old, this letter that's 2,000 years old, written by Dr. Luke, and we can say, well, if that's how it happened then, we can expect that this is how God and the church still do things today. And so, so a different theme every single week um, that's kind of woven through the book of Acts. And, and so we're going to look at one today, and I want to start by, in order to get there, by having you turn on your Bibles or turn on your phones, go to your Bible app, and, and open up to Acts chapter 9. And what you're going to find as we're doing this as you go to Acts chapter 9, we're not just taking it sequentially, Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we're kind of taking themes, and so we'll be jumping around in the book. Also, we challenged you that... Um, in, the, in this three months period, Acts has 28 chapters. If, if you would read one chapter of Acts every day from now through the series, you will read the book of Acts three times. Not a, very, not, a huge, not a huge thing. So you could read it three times and you'd really get the heart. What we want to have happen is the, the, the reality of Acts that will just seep into our souls. And so read a chapter a day out of the book of Acts and you'll read this book three times in this period of time. All right? So you got to Acts chapter 9? Yeah? Anybody there? All right. Uh, we're going to read a kind of a lengthy section today. Remember, Acts is a narrative, which means it's a story. It's, it's not teaching, um, where some books are they're, they're teaching doctrine. This is a story. And so a lot of times you have to read the whole story to get the point. So we're going to read a story. It's the first 22 verses of Acts chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screens. So starting in Acts 9.1, it says, Now Saul 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So he, the church has just begun. Saul is, is trying to kill Christians, basically, imprison and kill Christians. Verse 2. And he asked for letters from, from, from him, from the high priest, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, or that were, they were Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And remember, Jesus has just died, rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus, post-resurrection Jesus, is appearing to Saul. Verse 6, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, he brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, your saints at Jerusalem, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called by your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up, and he was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on, the, on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that, that this Jesus is the Christ. And we'll stop right there. What a story. What, a, what an amazing story of, of um, this transformed life. What a, what a transformation we see from Saul being a Pharisee. And who do we know Saul? He changed his name. What did he change his, what's he changed his name to? Paul. So Saul here is the apostle Paul. He changed his name to Paul and he becomes, he's one of the apostles, the leaders of the church. So from this Pharisee, and a Pharisee was a religious leader, bent on destroying everyone and anyone. It says men and women, 
um, anyone who followed Jesus. He was, he was imprisoning them. He was part of watching Stephen be stoned to death, the disciple. Um, he goes from that to probably the most influential Christian person who's ever lived on planet Earth. Apostle Paul, outside of Jesus, no one on in Earth in history has probably ever influenced more people for the gospel, sh- revealing who Jesus is, than this guy, Saul, who becomes Paul um, the Apostle. So now, as we read this story, surely there's something, I hope, as we read the narrative, that kind of that grabs us. And it's this, that when a person truly encounters Jesus, something happens. When a person truly meets Jesus, now Paul met him post-resurrection, Jesus appeared to him, but people, we meet Jesus, there's a day where some of you met Jesus, like it was revealed to you that Jesus really is the Son of God, the same revelation that Paul had, like he really is God, and somehow in the way God has made us by his Spirit, we meet him, we, we come to understand his truth and his presence and his reality, and what we find here and throughout Acts is that when Paul and other people encounter Jesus, transformation occurs. People become different. Um, And I'm hoping that's what you've experienced in your life if you've met Jesus, that you begin to change. You're not who you were before. So Paul's change was so drastic, he changes his name. He goes, I'm not that guy anymore. And hopefully that's what we're experiencing, that I'm not that guy, I'm not that girl anymore, that, 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 that Acts reveals that transformation is part of coming to Jesus. We see it here with Saul. We see it in Peter later. We see Peter and through the Gospels, who, be, who goes from this, this very um, volatile fisherman to becoming the revered leader of the church. We see transformation in people's lives again and again as they encounter Jesus um, throughout this entire book. We find jailers who are persecuting the church and, and killing Christians as their job, become followers of Jesus. We see Roman soldiers that were fighting against Christianity that become disciples. That life transformation, life change happens when you see Jesus. So we see, as we we look at the text of, of Scripture, we see that it was normal for them to expect transformation or change in a person's life when they meet Jesus. That simply we understand that God's plan is that we meet Jesus, we expect to see positive changes also because it's worse life. And so one of the things that we learn from Acts is that we can also, because that's where it started then and continuing on, we can also then expect transformation. We can expect you and I to have changed lives when we meet Jesus. That 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 good things, that we become more like Jesus that we're going to talk about, we become more like Jesus as we, are, we spend time with Jesus and his nature literally becomes our nature. So right, isn't that true? We would expect transformation when people meet Jesus? Right? Right. There's a but here. There's a however here. There is something, and I chose Paul's story on purpose for transformation because it's so dramatic, but I also hesitated using Paul's story because there's a but, a however, in Paul's story. There's something else from looking at Paul's transformation story that we could assume from Paul's story that I would say this could be um, misleading to us. It could maybe even be harmful to us if we don't really understand it in context of all the scriptures. And it's this, 
we could conclude by looking at Saul's story that transformation occurs instantly. It occurs quickly. Paul one day is this guy killing Christians. The next day he's preaching Jesus. Literally a three-day period, right? He was blind for three days. He goes from this guy to that guy in one day. Guy killing Christians to guy having his life put on the line as a follower of Jesus. Within days, Paul becomes a totally different man. And therefore, we could conclude that when we come to Jesus, we will see this dramatic change overnight. Now, I'd say this. Oftentimes, we do have dramatic change in our lives instantly when we really come to Jesus. People say, like, I feel like that like thousands of pounds of guilt left me, and I feel totally different. We, and we do in some areas see change quickly, right? We see change quickly. But then when in some areas of our life, we don't change overnight, we conclude a couple wrong things. We conclude either one, number one, that, number one, I'm not trying hard enough, and we're a bunch of Northern Europeans primarily from descent. We are good triers. My wife and I have a statement all the time. If we don't do something, we always say, well, you're a good trier. We say it all the time. Well, Mark, she'll say, Mark, well, you, you're a good trier on that, you know. And we try hard. It's in our nature. It's in our culture. We try hard. So we could conclude we're not trying hard enough. We could conclude something's wrong with us. What's wrong with me? I'm depressed. I came to Jesus, and I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus, and it's not happening, and I, there, I must be defective. There's something wrong with me. Or I think we conclude something else that's even more, more sad or damaging or hurtful. We just conclude this. Well, there was nothing really real about the experience I had with Jesus anyway. It was just emotional. I was at church, and I got caught up in, in it, and, and it wasn't really real. Anyways, the change isn't really real. Well, this is what I want us to think about today, about transformation. I want us to think about changing. How does it happen? So you don't make those wrong conclusions. And here's maybe the, 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 the point, the heart of what I want you to, to get into your soul today when it comes to transformation. It's this, that transformation in Christ, meaning becoming more like Jesus, is real. But some things in our lives take time and effort to change. Transformation in Christ is real. But some things take time and effort to change. When someone comes to Jesus, what's that, what's that mean? They come to Jesus. A person recognizes their emptiness and their lostness, and they turn from their, their old life, which is self-willed. I'm my own God. We don't say it like that, but I'm running, I'm running the show. I, we turn from that, this life of it's bound up in sinfulness, because God says everybody is bound up in that, and we accept Jesus' gift, free gift of forgiveness and salvation, when we do that, the instant we do that, transformation occurs. The second we go from, the Bible says, from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Bible says it this way, we go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's glorious light. That transformation occurs. We receive eternal life. That's why Jesus says, what is, what is real life? It's eternal life is fullness. That what we come and we, we come, it's immediate and it's ever with Jesus. The Bible says that is, it's instant. It's immediate and it's real. But here's the point. It's not complete. Now, let me explain before you challenge my theology here. 
It's not, I'm, I'm not saying you're not saved at all. I'm saying you are 100%. It's real. You're made a transformation, but it's not complete. The instant you come to Jesus, you are spiritually born again. You are given the righteousness, the Bible says, you're given the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to you. It's given to you. His righteousness comes into your life. That's complete. Your salvation is real. Your salvation is secure. But there is still a lot of the old you and me that needs to change. And that takes some time. And that takes some effort in the right directions. That's why, and we see it through the Gospels, that's why Jesus spent three full years with his disciples. What was he doing? Why did Jesus walk with his disciples for three years? Because he was walking them through change. He was helping them grow. He was helping them becoming the spiritually developed men that they needed to be that could establish the church, which had never been heard of before, the church of Jesus Christ, and see that thing become completely expanded around the entire globe so that 2,000 years later, we're sitting in Port Washington, Wisconsin, and we're part of the church that was started there 2,000 years ago. He spent three years with 12 guys and poured his entire life into those 12 so that they could be grown, they could grow and change and develop. Instantly, when they came to know him as Savior, they were, they were saved. But then he spent three years saying things to, to Peter, like when Peter says, you're not going to die, he'd get behind me, Satan. Peter's going, holy cow, I'm your follower. You just called me the devil. He goes, you're not thinking of things right. He's challenging his thinking. He said, you're thinking like a man, not what God wants. He's helping them grow and develop. They're, they're eternally right with God. But there was some effort and some work that had to go on in their lives. And I would say this about this concept, about, about the fact that there's effort that goes into it. That we do change positionally. We're right with God. But that the old you and old me still got some pretty strong tentacles. And that it, that has to change. I would think as a general rule in, a, in this room, that we would understand this. So we really try hard to change. I think we understand that transformation is desired result. We want to stop having an explosive temper. We want to stop doing things that are against God's plan. We want to, we want to look like Jesus. We want to be positive and, and, and helpful and love. I think we get all that. We think that Christian, I think we get that, 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 that transformation is a desired result of Christianity, and we want to change, we want to get better, we want to be more like Jesus, so we try really hard, right? I think so. Maybe someone says something like this, maybe it's you. My anger before Jesus always gets the best of me. So now I've come to Christ, and the righteousness of Christ is in me. I'm a new creation. I went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I see all this to be true. I really met Jesus, so I'm going to try really hard to control my anger. I'm going, to try, I'm going to work at it, man. And then something triggers you, and you explode. What happens when that happens? We feel like failures. We, we say, it's not working. And we look at our lives and say, I'm not changing. Well, listen to me. 
this cycle of trying really hard to control my anger or control my lust or control my whatever, fill in the blank, and then failing, this cycle doesn't work because there's a flaw in our understanding. A flaw that says the way to change is to control my issues. Control my anger, control my lust, control my greed. But it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work, does it? See, the solution isn't to control things. It might work a little bit, but it doesn't really, doesn't really bring real change. The solution isn't to control things. The solution, what we see in Paul's life, these things formed by Christ on the inside so that these things diminish on the outside. The, the, the answer, the solution, is to have Jesus, by the Spirit, bring transformation to our very souls on the inside, so these things diminish on the outside. You see, think about this. We want to become like Jesus. Jesus didn't need to control his out-of-control anger, did he? They're nailing him to a cross. They're pounding nails in him. And he looks to the Father and what's he say? Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. I'm not sure what I'd be saying. I'm hoping I'd say that, but I don't think that's probably what I'd be saying. I want to get to the point that that's what I would say. But Jesus, he, he didn't have to control out-of-control anger. He didn't have to control out-of-control lust. He didn't have to control out-of-control greed or whatever, fill in the blank. Because those things did not exist within his very soul because he is Jesus without sin. We don't have that. He is Jesus without sin. And those things didn't exist. So what came out on the outside was a reflection of what was on the inside. See, the key for our transformation isn't more control. I'm going to control my greed. I'm going to control my lust. It doesn't work. No, the solution is becoming more like Jesus in our soul, on the inside. So then the result is we behave more like Jesus in our actions on the outside. Rather than putting our energy into into the losing effort of trying to control our own sinfulness, we instead put our effort, because it takes effort, and this is what we're going to get at today, it takes effort, but we put our effort into the right thing. We put our effort into becoming more like Jesus. That's where we put our effort. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul taught. There's a, there's a transformation verse that I want you to underline in your Bible. It's like we were talking about this. Pastor Paul and Pastor Mitch, I think, was in there. We are talking about how much, you don't have to do this, but how much we like a real paper Bible you can hold in your hand. I'm not anti your tech, your, you know, if we use it. I use my Bible app all the time. But man, I'm just going to tell you, get a real Bible. As your friend and your pastor, get a real Bible so you can hold it and you can put notes in it. If you don't have one, take one. There's all kinds of in front of your pews. Take one of those um, for now, and I, you say, then get whichever one you like um, as far as the different, the different uh, leather or whatever. I'm saying. But a real Bible. Because there's a verse I want you to highlight, and, and maybe take it if you've got an electronic one, copy it down and put it on your refrigerator. It's a transformation verse. Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10. Listen to what it says. Paul understood this. Of anybody who understood this, Paul understood it. And Paul wrote this in Colossians. Put on your new nature. Okay? 
So we want to be a new nature, be different on the inside. Put on your new nature and be renewed, or you could put the word in there, be transformed. Be transformed, be renewed as you what? How do you do it? As you learn to know your creator and become like him. As we learn to know Jesus more and more and become like him, which is a process, then we develop, what's he say here? A new nature. Our new nature like Jesus. Where our old faults and failures are replaced by Jesus' nature. And if that, as that happens, then we don't have to control out-of-control issues because as we're transformed, those out-of-control issues aren't out-of-control issues anymore. And we're different on the inside, so we act different on the outside. It's called transformation. It's the goal of Christianity. The number one goal of you coming to Christ is for you to become more like him. Your number one goal is not to tell people about Jesus. That's really important. Your number one goal, my number one goal, is to spend time with Jesus so that I become like Jesus, that we are reflections of Jesus in a world that's dark. So that the world is what? As he's lifted up, it draws all men to him. So the goal is to become more like Jesus. The goal is transformation in Christ's likeness. It's, so it's not about controlling whatever. It's about becoming like Jesus on the inside so you no longer feel whatever that thing is that wells up within you that's wrong and not in line with you. It never works and it's never... See the difference? One is trying to control what's wrong and it never works and it's never ending. The other is becoming something different where these issues diminish and just cease becoming a problem. Now, with all that being said, here's the big word, how. How? How do we put our energy and effort into knowing Jesus more and becoming more like him so that we experience real change and real transformation? Well, to answer that question, I'm going to draw you a picture, draw you a diagram. And I'm going to tell you before I draw it, it's not original with me. It's from a guy, you've heard his name from before, from me, James Brian Smith, who really got it from a guy named Dallas Willard. And it has really helped me and it's helped a bunch of people in this church to understand how to create a model for change, a model for transformation. Matter of fact, Jim calls it the triangle of transformation. And for some of you, this is going to be a review. But for a whole bunch of you, this is new. So let me draw you a picture. I'm not an artist, so fortunately it doesn't have any people, or they'd be stick people. Here's the picture, and it'll also be a, a, a version of up on the screen. This is how change happens. We're going to say Christ like. That's the goal of like, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so what, what has been discovered or learned through 2,000 years of church history, and probably dates back because it's human, is that we said we can't just put all of our energy and effort into becoming more like Jesus, right? That's where I'm going to say Jesus wasn't full of, of uncontrolled anger. I'm just going to try real hard to control my anger. It doesn't work. But there are some things we can do to become more like Christ. We can control certain things. That would be over here. Because the idea is that becoming more like Jesus is not a direct process. That it's an indirect process. 
that there are certain things we can do, and if we do these certain things, eventually we look in the mirror and we go, oh my goodness, these things are having an effect on me. And as I do these things that I can control, because these are doable things, because they're not about the heart, they're not about, about our nature, they're about things we can do in our lives that everybody can control. As I do these things, that the Holy Spirit within me can help me grow and develop so that in time, as I do these, I can direct my attention on these things, and the indirect result is as I do these things, development in Christ-likeness occurs. And you look in the mirror five years later and you go, holy cow, I'm different. So here's what we can control. We control the stories we believe about God and self. And we're going to talk about all these in a minute. So we can control the narr- or, the, or the narratives or the stories we believe about God and self. We can evaluate those. We can see that they line up with the scriptures and we can evaluate these and we can actually do things to make sure they line up with what's true as revealed through Jesus in the word of God. The next thing we can control is we can engage in spiritual exercises exercises, things that we can do that'll give God an opportunity to work inside of us. We can do these things. We're going to explain these in a minute. And what we also can do is we can do this with a group of people, believers in Christ, who are going in the same direction. We do it in community. And we understand something, that it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit is going to use these things we can do. And as we engage in these things we can do, as a result, what will happen is we will in time begin to be more transformed in our actions and our thinking to be like Jesus. So let's talk about these things we can do. So the first thing we can do is we can evaluate the stories we believe about God and self. Here's what you need to understand about how your brain works and how life works. We live by stories. We live by narratives. The way our brain works is it processes things into stories in your life. If I were to ask you, and I can prove it to you, if I were to ask you to tell me about some special day in your life, Tell me about your wedding. Tell me about your kid's graduation. What you would do is you would relate it back to me in a story. You would tell me who was there, what was said, how you felt, what the weather was like, what you ate. You would tell me a story about it. You'd give me a narrative about it. Because the way God has designed our brains is that we remember things and we process things in a process of a story. It's how we do it. That's what dreams really are. Dreams are just stories in your subconscious that you remember. Most of the book of Acts, I've mentioned this earlier, is simply a story. It's narratives. They're telling stories about this happened, then that happened, then that happened. The Gospels are stories. This happened, then that happened, then that happened. And for this, in the book of Acts, it's what happens in the stories of the early church. And here's the reality. Our brain works that way, and we are shaped, therefore, by our stories. Our stories help us make sense of the world around us, and interpret the things that happen in our lives. And you could actually say this, and it wouldn't be a far stretch. The stories you believe run your life. They run your life. 
And in relationship to our spiritual lives, the stories, and when I say spiritual, I hesitate to say that because you're not separated, you're holistic. But your spiritual lives, you know what we're thinking about, your, your transformation inside. In relationship to your spiritual lives, the stories we believe about God and ourselves shape what we believe and therefore how we act because how you believe, as you believe in your heart, that's how you act. So for instance, if I believe a life story that everyone is always out to rip me off, everybody's always out to get the best of me. If that's a belief that's grained down in my soul, that'll affect everything about my life. Matter of fact, that's how I was raised. It's taken me 40 years of walking with Jesus to evaluate that life story, that that's how I, was, I saw the world, that everybody's out to get you. Everybody's out, has to do with your family of origin, has to do with you know, the, the relationships you have and things that happen to you. You create these narratives, these stories, and the stories run your life. And let's say you have that idea, everybody's off to rip me off. Everybody in the world's, and that's not so far-fetched. A lot of people in this room probably have that story. They're all, everybody's all to get. You don't say it like that, but you always look at people that way. If you believe that, that will affect how you interact with, with people. It'll affect how you interact with your closest family members as well as the guy at the car dealership. It will affect how you deal with your friends. And friends, it will affect how you deal with God if you believe that story. You will tend towards being defensive. You'll tend towards being non-trusting. It'll affect everything that in your life. The story runs your life. And you could even say this. Some stories actually ruin your life. Everything you process goes through that story. And here's the point. Oftentimes we have wrong narratives, wrong stories about God himself. We believe things that simply are not true, but the fact is we don't even usually know it. Our beliefs about God himself can be wrong, and that affects how we see the world, how we process things, and therefore how we live. So to bring change... We have to compare what we think about God and self against what Jesus says and reveals about God and self. And that's what happened to Paul in this story. It's one reason I wanted Paul, because Paul had this great knowledge about God. But his great knowledge about God was totally wrong. So God knocks him off his feet. He's laying on the ground. There's a bright light. He hears a voice. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, it's me, Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? What happened? His whole story changed. He believed Jesus is anti-God. Jesus is a, it was, was horrible. He was apostate. He needs to die and his followers need to die. That was his story. And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his whole story changes. And he goes, oh my goodness, I've been wrong. I've been thinking wrong about this thing my whole life. This whole time that Jesus is around, you are God. And his story changes what he believes about God and what he believes about himself. What's my role in this now? I'm supposed to kill these people. Now I'm supposed to preach this gospel. It was all about the story that he believed in. So for us, our narratives, Jesus, we look to understand is Jesus is the litmus test. Jesus, we look through everything through the lens of Jesus Everything we evaluate about what is right and what is wrong, we hold up Jesus. And how do we know who Jesus is? He's revealed in the scriptures, primarily in the gospels. We look, how did Jesus live and act and think and do? 
And that's the revelation. Jesus came to reveal God. Jesus says we couldn't understand the concept. So God said, I'm going to help you understand who I am. And God himself came to earth. And we look at Jesus. So everything now, there's a lot of things we misunderstand. So we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. How come that Old Testament stuff doesn't make sense? You've got to read through the lens of Jesus and figure things out. So everything we look at, the litmus test is Jesus. We look through the lens of Jesus. So what Jesus says and Jesus reveals about God the Father is truth. It is correct. And we hold up what we believe about what God says about him and and, and the Father. And we say, what does Jesus reveal? And if they're not wrong, we say, okay, God, help me realize to to reconcile. Help me to, to look at it through your way. But we also look at ourselves. And we hold up, what does Jesus reveal about you? What does Jesus reveal about people? And we say, is that what I believe about people? Now, we could preach 10 sermons on what's revealed. But in a nutshell, what we find revealed is that Jesus reveals that the Father, God, is one who is filled with love and compassion. He's longing to forgive. He's longing to reconcile lost people to himself. He is eternally good and loving and trustworthy and out for our good. So today we're saying he's a good, good father. Why can we sing that? Why do we choose our songs on purpose? It's to align your narratives with the truth of what the Bible reveals. The Bible reveals he's a good, good father. And we find as we look at scripture from Jesus, and we think about ourselves and other people, we find that what's revealed is that every person on on planet Earth is worth loving and is valuable. So valuable that Jesus himself chose to die in our place in order to save us from our bondage to sin and death. But friends, oftentimes our narratives about God himself are a lot different from these. You may see God as angry or vengeful or or distant. I kind of had that idea that God was just sitting in heaven waiting for me to screw up. Jim Smith describes it as as the swivel chair God. That God's looking at you and he's really happy as long as you do anything wrong. You do anything wrong, he turns his back to you. The Bible didn't reveal that. That was my wrong narrative. It taught me that about God. It took me years to unwind it, to realize that every time I do wrong, he's actually chasing after me more. So we, we evaluate our, our narratives about God himself. It affects your life, what you believe. You may see yourself as worthless or helpless, that will affect how you experience life. You may see yourself as more important. Oh, I've achieved a lot. I'm a cut above. You may see yourself as more important. That doesn't line up with Scripture. That's why James says things like, if you come into a church and you treat a person with money better than you treat a person without money, you're in sin. Says that because that person's not more important. Jesus came to die for everyone. If you think you're more important than anybody, you're better than anybody. Jesus' narrative reveals that that's not true. But if we believe those things, how will we act towards a person of a different race? That changes all of it when we get our narratives in line with what's revealed through Christ. So for change to begin in our lives, we need to adjust our narratives. It all starts with our thinking. We begin to to carefully look at what Jesus reveals about God and self from the scriptures and we compare that to what we really believe and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to replace our wrong thinking, our wrong beliefs, our wrong narratives with what scripture reveals 
to be true. So I had to help myself understand that God wasn't turning his back on me. It took me decades to figure it out. And as we do this, though, over a period of time, the stories we believe actually begin to change and we see the world differently than we did before. And what happens is we experience internal transformation where all of a sudden one day we go, oh my goodness, I look different because I act different because I feel different because I'm thinking different. Does that make sense? So it all begins with what we believe. So we adjust our process for that around here. And I have a little more to say about that at the end because we've got a great process for that around here. So the first part, we spent most of the time on the first one. But then we go down to the next point, the spiritual activities, the spiritual activities. The next thing that we can do, that we can do, we, there's some things we can't do. I can't just try to control my anger. But what I can do is I can give the Holy Spirit access and opportunity into my very soul, into my heart, by participating in spiritual activities, or some people call them spiritual disciplines. I can do certain things that literally, this is the way I feel it in my mind, because i got to have word pictures, i got to see it. That things I can open up my heart, my soul, my life, to give the Holy Spirit access into my life. Because I can live a life so busy, so, so filled with junk, that the Holy Spirit can't even access. He can't really get through to my brain. He can't get through to my heart. But I can do some things to open up my life to the available, always available. Is the Holy Spirit with us right now? Yes, the Bible says he's not only here, but he's in us of our attrition. But I can do things to open up myself to his, to his activity. Things, historical church things like silence and solitude. Bible reading and prayer, meditation on Scripture, memorization of Scripture, worship and fasting and generous giving and corporate worship. I want to tell you today, in corporate worship, and I'm not going to share it now because someday it's going to be for a sermon, the Lord literally, I had a, I had a Jesus moment. Some of you are looking and saying, or something wrong with Pastor Mark's eyes. He keeps taking his glasses off and wiping tears out of his eyes. I had a Jesus moment in the front row during corporate worship today. It doesn't always happen. As, we, as I opened up my heart to the available presence of God, the Holy Spirit could speak. He spoke something into my heart today during worship that I just started, I just started crying. It's because we do these historic disciplines that are designed not so you can check a box and think God, it makes God happy. It's because as you engage in these things, it opens up your heart so the Holy Spirit can have activity. So if you avoid them all, you stay the exact same person you were 30 years ago before you heard the gospel. If you, don't, if you don't open up your heart, the Holy Spirit can't get a hold of you. If you're no different than you were 20 years ago, that's not a compliment. That's not. That's not a good thing. We're supposed to be changing, trans, being transformed every day through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We do these things because they help us grow and change. They're good for us. We don't do them because we have to. There's no ought in these things. They're not somehow um, pleasing God, impressing God. God's not any more impressed with you if you spend three days fasting than if you don't fast. But if you spend time fasting, it may open up your heart in ways that the Spirit can speak things to you that would not have happened if you didn't do it. So it's a false narrative that says, I'm impressing God by these things. I'm holy. That was the Pharisees. I'm righteous because I do all these things. Baloney. Jesus says, you're not. He says, you're, you're full of dead man's bones. On the white, outside, you're whitewashed. You look good and innocent, but you're dead on the inside. That's a false narrative. If I do these things, I impress God and I impress other people. It might impress you. It doesn't impress God. 
We do them not to impress, but we do them to open up our hearts so the Holy Spirit has access. We, one of them is service. We serve so the Holy Spirit has access into our heart and he changes us. We on purpose build our lives around spiritual practices so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and encourage us and shape us. He changes us on the inside so it results in us living different on the outside. It's called transformation. And finally, we do these things, the things we can do, with a group of people. Jesus helped his disciples grow by spending time with 12. And out of that 12, three. He understood that change happens best. Growth and change happen best in community. Often we have another wrong narrative, a misbelief, and this is very, very strong in the Western world, American Western world of rugged individualism, which does not line up with the picture of Jesus in Scripture. It's not what's revealed. We would oftentimes misbelieve that spiritual development, growth, is a personal or a private matter. It's all about me. It's personal and it's private. However, growth happens best when we have a few others who are walking with us and encouraging us and sometimes challenging us and praying for us that the community makes a difference. That's why we have, for our size church, especially the most highly developed Wednesday night program any church our size could have and churches 10 times bigger don't have. Our Wednesday night programs, are we call them our transformation classes. That they're all about how do you engage the process. It's literally developed on the triangle How do we engage the process so that the Holy Spirit can bring transformation in our lives? So on Wednesday nights, we have classes designed for each one of these things. And it's incorporated in all of them. It's a plan we put together saying, if you will walk the plan, it's a three-year plan. If you'll walk the plan, you'll be giving the Holy Spirit opportunity and you will come out different on the other side. And we've just been me and Pastor Paul and Pastor Mitch have been tweaking things a little bit because COVID, we had to shut some things down. And this year we did a partial relaunch. But next year, I can't wait for September because we're a tweaked version, a little tweaked version. We'll be launching again in September on Wednesday nights. And if you engage the process, transformation will happen. So I want the worship team come. So growth transformation happens indirectly. We address the things we can, and as a result, we change our thinking, which leads to changed living. So what can we change? What can we address? We can align our narratives with the truth that Jesus reveals. We have whole classes that that deal with just that. We can be open to the Holy Spirit's activity through spiritual activities. So we engage in things. So, so like we're going to be um, doing one-day silent, repre- silent prayer retreats here at the church um, in fall, one for men, one for women. And we're doing that only separate because we just don't have enough room to give every, a lot of people their private space if we do too many in the building. So we do one-day ones. We've done them before. We just stopped them for COVID. One-day ones. 
um, here. So you come and you sit in silence and we give you some guidance and, and you spend a day with Jesus. How many your one minute with Jesus devotion do you have to do to equate a whole day, eight hours being with Jesus in silence? You know, so, so we will give you these kind of opportunities. So be open to the Holy Spirit's activity through spiritual activities. And then we walk the path with a few others. Get into a class. We do it or with a couple friends and grow together. As a result, in time, I promise you, we look in the mirror, and I think I said this years ago. I asked my kids. It was very dangerous. I asked them a while ago because of having this mental, this, this wrong narrative in my head that everybody's out to get you. It's just how I was raised, just how life was, how the culture was. You know, look out for yourself. Look out for number one. It affected how I acted, and so I had a pretty, pretty bad temper. I remember asking them about my temper years later after engaging the process. And they're like, yeah, you're not, you're not, you don't have the temper like you used to have. And honestly now, I don't get mad about hardly anything. They're not really, they're not mad. I don't get really mad about hardly anything. I'm going to get a little freaked out. But I don't get that mad. Why? I really don't because of transformation. And if God can do that in me, listen, he can bring change in my life, and i got a long ways to go. He can bring change in anybody's life. Right? So God wants to, he wants to help us grow and change as a result of, of doing this process. You can look in the mirror. Some of you are doing it right. You're looking in the mirror and going, wow, I'm changing. I'm growing. I'm being transformed. Let's stand again. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Our good, good Father. We see that your, your desire for us is to become more like Jesus. And Lord, you're, you're, you're opening up our heart to ways that that can happen. And we're asking this, Lord, would you help us, Lord? Help us be transformed from the inside out. Help us be transformed from the inside out, Lord. Change our souls. Lord, you're showing us what we can do. Give us the wisdom and the courage and the, and the determination to, to invest our energy into the right things. Show us, Lord, if we're stuck. Show us how you can direct us, Lord, to get unstuck and help us so that we can engage the right things and become different because then we know that as we become transformed in Christ's likeness, this community, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors will see somebody different. We'll be lifting you up and you'll draw all people to yourself. So help us in this, problem, in this, in this process, Lord. Help us to be different. As we're praying this morning, we're just having a private moment. I encourage you all, just private moment. Just, just have our eyes closed. Maybe you're here today. I don't know if this is the case. Maybe you're here today. And you've never taken the first step. 
we talked about at the very beginning of the sermon that there's a time when you recognize your need of Jesus. You recognize that you're lost. You recognize you've been trying on your own. It's not working. And you recognize that that things are, are not in control in your life and you're searching for answers. And somehow in searching for answers, you're here today. And something inside of your heart is saying the answer is Jesus. That same thing like the Apostle Paul had where all of a sudden you go, the answer is Jesus. And that something in your heart that's saying that is not me, because I've not even hardly talked about it today. That something in your heart is the Holy Spirit of God who is here, and He's speaking to you right now because He loves you that much. And you say, you know what? Pastor Mark, today, I'm not even sure what's all involved in it, but I want to, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to turn my life over. I want to turn the control of my life over to Jesus. I want to follow him. If that's you today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because I just want, I don't want you to feel intimidated. I'm the only one looking around. If that's you, I'm going to start on my left. I'm going to look out in the crowd. And you look me right in the eye. You don't have to raise your hand and just look at me. Make sure I see you. I'm going to scan this thing on my left side. You look at right at me. You say, I'm ready, Pastor Mark. Okay. Okay. In the center section, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay. Over on my right, your left. You just pick your head up and look. People have been in every section so far. Let's pray together. Jesus, if you if you responded that way, I want you to, we're going to talk to Jesus. We're all going to do it. I'm going to try to hold church. The whole church. Just pray this prayer out loud ask you to join it. Mean it from your heart. There's no magic words here. We're just talking to the God who is here. So pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. So this morning, I come to you and I ask you to come into my life. Wash away all the junk. Give me a fresh start. Become my Lord. Become my Savior. I I welcome you into my life. I welcome your presence into my heart. And on this day, I want to become your Father. So today, Lord, I say, you are my God. Help me now to walk with you, to grow in you every day. Amen. Friends, you prayed that today. As we said earlier, something very real has happened in the moment. If you meant it with your heart, it says Jesus led you to do it, and Jesus has now taken you, and he's taking you from the kingdom of darkness, and he's literally brought you in the kingdom of light. Or think of it this way. It's as if, if the lights were off in this room, and you said yes to Jesus, it's like somebody turned on the lights, and all the light came on in your soul. So that now, the Holy Spirit can help you grow and develop and become a new person. Hello tonight. Do this, if you said yes to Jesus today. Before your head hits the pillow tonight. Tell somebody that's a Christian that you know is a follower of Jesus. 
what you did, that you said yes to Jesus. Don't be like, oh, it's private. It's not private. We talked about it. It's public. We need each other. Tell somebody. Because then what's going to happen is it cements it in your soul, but it also gives them permission to say, how are you doing? And help you. Because remember, it takes, a, it, takes a, it takes a few other people to walk the journey together. And I challenge you this. In just a minute, the worship team's going to sing. And I'm going to challenge you to spend some time in prayer before we close um, completely. And if you feel done when they start singing, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. But otherwise, just spend a few moments in prayer. But if you want, if you want, I'll be up here. Pastor Paul will be up here. Come and talk to one of us. If you want, if you can, ask Jesus your life. Also, if you need prayer, come forward today. So Jesus, thank you for being so good to us. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Now touch our hearts, Lord, as we just spend a few moments, a few more moments in your presence, allowing you to work in our hearts to make us more.